This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao. This podcast is a conversation on the Four Faith weekly devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link in this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode description. Bishop, it's good to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Melissa. Great to be with you. <laughs> Great. Uh, I read your devotional on, and you named it Filled. And you were you were talking about Matthew 14, 13 to 21, where Jesus fed 5,000 people, or so the story goes. Yeah. And uh, I love this story because it's about God providing and meeting a need in ways that people would never have suspected. Um, what I love most about this entire devotional is much of it is um, is sage wisdom from one of my heroes, and I think one of your all time favorite uh, theologians, Walter Brueggemann. That's right, absolutely. And and you say you say Brueggemann says charity is a patch we use on the way to weaving a new garment, and he talks about charity versus justice. And I'm curious if you could share with us the difference or the nuances between those two words. What does the difference between charity and justice mean to you? Well, I I think that, um, you know, first of all, we're talking about feeding the 5,000, right? And in this particular telling of the story, you know, uh, the disciples come to Jesus uh, after apparently, you know, some preaching and teaching and say, hey, man, it's about lunchtime. You know, let's adjourn and let people sort of find their own way for food and uh and the the disciples uh, are you know uh, uh, it seems anxious uh about all of that and jesus says well how about you feed them so number one i like the fact that jesus gives the work back to his disciples right he he asked them to actively engage in meeting meeting the need and so i want to say first and foremost that charity is great Right, I think that um, uh, we are called as as the people of God to share. We are called to be generous. We are called to be other centered. We are called to find people on the margins, particularly and historically, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. That's very clear. It's through the Hebrew scriptures and into the Christian scriptures. But charity, as Brueggemann says, is simply a patch. Right, charity is what we're doing now while we're working for a more just society where everybody has enough. And that's why I entitled it Phil, because the overarching goal is for us all to be filled, for everybody to have enough, for there to be some sort of, and here's the dangerous word for us as Americans, uh, for there to be uh, uh, such a, a, an amazing redistribution <laughs> uh, that, that uh, until all have they what they need so so charity is not sort of a tax uh, and charity is not just because I'm a good person a charity in some way acknowledges that we are imperfect um, that there's sin uh, that we can be selfish uh, but in a charity's on its way to somewhere justice is when we arrive at the fact that in the practice and the policies and the politics and the religion, that makes sure that everybody has. Mm. I, you know, I did a, uh, I'm glad you brought up that redistribution word because I did a little bit of research after reading this devotional and I looked up a stat that if every American were to 
get the same amount. Say, for instance, there's a redistribution among every single person in the U.S. with all of the money or the you know the the resources that the United States has, that each person would would make or earn three hundred forty three thousand dollars per year per person. Right. Right. And that's according to a June 2019 stat from the booking or uh, the Brooking Institution. So I just thought that was wild. And now I know that would probably go greatly down if we're talking about the global economy, but yet we're talking about yeah, many, many citizens will talk about that. So Bishop, according to that redistribution, Brueggemann then goes on to talk about a new economy. I'm wondering if you can share some of your ideas of what a new economy might look like in the U.S. Well, I mean, your statistic from the Brookings Institute, for instance, uh, points to the possibility of an economy where everybody has, you know, more than enough. I mean, I think what is the average American income, right? It's somewhere below sixty thousand dollars now. So, in your model, um, it, you know, everybody can do much better. Um, uh, I, I think I think what Brueggemann is trying to point to, and what Jesus first and foremost is trying to point to, is, you know, how is it that our Christianity uh, uh, lets us live with such uh, crippling and tragic disparity, right? Uh, you know, and and we realize that that's baked into the system, and we realize like, we realize that's the status quo, but. But how is it that we can we can sit Sunday after Sunday, or even more than that, with Jesus's words, and and realize that our system bears no real resemblance to what Jesus actually, uh, uh, you know, sort of wanted to inaugurate? Um, what he actually said was was possible even right now. And so when 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 we have done this um, in the history of our nation, when individuals have have tried to, to tried to sort of bring this uh, economy into being, uh, it has been phenomenal. It has been amazing where we've had enough and uh, and people have had enough and people have thrived. And when we don't do it, uh, we sort of limp along. Um, You know, I, I, uh, you know, we're at a place now in in the world where um, you can put uh, eight or nine people in a minivan and that will represent something like sixty percent of the wealth in the world. And so, and so, you know, um, there's this there's this interesting notion about uh, you know what the prophet comes to say. What Jesus comes to say is is that sure we can continue down that path, but down that path uh, is is a perversion uh, of what it means to be civilized and human. And, and then what Jesus does and what the prophets do is to also say, um, we could choose that road or we can choose another road, but we're going to have to adapt uh, some of our deeply held understandings. And so we have a deeply held understanding that, you know, sort of people should, uh, um, you know, they should sort of make it on their own way. They should pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Um, and, and I think that there is a social responsibility piece. There is an individual responsibility piece, and there's a tension between those two. Uh, Jesus seems to talk about a redistribution of wealth, and we don't want to talk about that because that pushes all of our buttons in a capitalistic society, but this is the radical nature of the gospel. And so, you know, people, you know, don't, don't phone in and email me, the bishop, you know, on this phone in and email Jesus, 
right? Because Jesus had a vision uh, where you have enough and I have enough. I mean, think about our public school situation, for instance. Um, you know, this is probably the, one of the most short-sighted uh, examples of this. So we're going to educate some kids and the vast majority of kids we're going to sort of also educate, but really poorly. Uh, and then we're going to expect to be more whole, more creative, more innovative, sort of more resilient as a nation over the long haul. That's not going to work. It's simply not going to work. If we don't invest in all children equally, uh, then we're going to suffer the consequences of this. And so when Jesus fills all, he's not just doing a magic trick with bread and fish, right? He's saying, uh, why don't we use our power to create this opportunity, to create and replicate this sort of idea? And I think the disciples get an amazing, you know, sort of epiphany in that moment, right? So it's not just bread and fish. Actually, they find out that at the end of that, uh, there's actually, uh, there's some left over. There's an overflow. And so we're so sort of tight-fisted, it seems sometimes, that we can't even dream about what the overflow would be if we really shifted our gaze to making sure there was enough for all. We can't even anticipate or project what the overflow would be. And According to God, through the Old Testament, New Testament, when we are faithful to God's vision of future, there's an overflow that we could never uh, imagine or anticipate that is good and wholesome for everyone. Gosh, yes. So when we talk about money, (laughs) I know. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Um, When we talk about money, though. And when Jesus talked about money, he talked, he was talking about, that was, that was politics. That was political. I mean, when, when we talk about this disparity of economy or new economy, when I think of the word economy, I typically, that's synonymous with government Sure. because it's typically a government that will, uh, fuel or, um, affirm, perpetuate an economy. And so I'm wondering what the church's role in ushering in a new economy might be. And so, yeah, so I was just talking actually to a priest in our diocese who, who, who took this idea, you know, sort of by the scruff of the neck and implemented it in her own congregation. What they decided was is that every individual congregation is also an economy, right? And so they, what they decided to do was, develop resources for people who were being hardest hit by COVID and by other sort of vicissitudes. And, uh, you know, also there are people who did this in 2008 when the market sort of crashed. And so there, there, there are, there are examples and the beginnings of, of this um, uh, economy, redistributive economy where people are caring for the needs of others. Remember, that's how the first church well, uh, distinguished herself, which is is that uh, um, you know uh, individual goods were sold, uh, and there was uh, a pot put together so that all needs uh, could be met. And so I, I think that um, we can ask ourselves about the macroeconomy, and we should, of course, but we can also start small. We can also start, you know, uh, in areas where we have some control. Um, we can also, you know, sort of uh, talk in terms of all and um, abundance uh, rather than fear and scarcity. I think this is the other thing that, that, that Jesus does when he feeds the 5,000. It, he, he fills their imagination 
with the idea of what is it, what would it be like if uh, if all of the vulnerable uh, had their needs met? What kind of society would we actually be? Um, and so there's a filling of the body. Uh, there's a there's a sort of a filling. Uh, but there's also a filling of of the imagination about this future that God holds out for us. I mean, look look at the group that historically uh, uh, the church was supposed to use uh, as uh, sort of canaries in the, in the coal mine. As society was supposed to ancient and, and and I would say now is supposed to judge herself. The society is by uh, the viability of the widows, the orphans. And the immigrants, uh, and if we look at that, at those groups now, what do we see, and 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 what does that say about us? And 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 there's more than charity that is necessary, right? There's more than charity. Charity is great. Don't get me wrong. I want everybody to understand that I think it's great to give. I teach giving to my children. We should be giving. That is exactly what we uh, are not do, but that's who we are. Right, that's one of the sure signs of Christian maturity. Right, selflessness, sacrificial giving. So, so uh, again, I, I, I'm not against that. But what we are saying here, what Jesus is saying, more importantly, and Brueggemann is saying, more importantly, is that charity is on the way to something bigger and better. And so, you know, again, I challenge us to pay attention this political season coming up. And, and, and listen carefully, either uh, to Republican and Democratic candidates, uh, how many conversations are going to be had about poverty, right? Um, virtually none. Virtually none. Uh, and, and so what does that say about us? And, and isn't that, uh, doesn't that speak to a short-sightedness about the health, the ultimate health and wholeness uh, of the nation? You know, um, uh, uh, you know, there will come a time if we continue down this road uh, where there's immense wealth in the hands of a very few and crippling uh, poverty is the lot of, of many more Americans. Uh, there will come a time when the gates won't be strong enough and the walls won't be high enough and the security guards won't be armed enough uh, to, to allow anyone to enjoy their life. Um, at, at some point we'll be surrounded, we'll be on, we'll be sort of on, on a little, uh, uh, sort of Island, uh, oasis of wealth. Some of us amidst a vast sea of have nots. And, and is that life, you know, will that be life? I mean here, so here Jesus is saying, you know, change, pivot, uh, do something new, uh, redistribute now and have life, uh, or, uh, don't do it. And realize that you're making a choice which is going to exact uh, a terrible cost uh, on all of us. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that. Uh, when we get back, we're going to be talking about widows, orphans, and immigrants right after this short break. If you're enjoying Four People with Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome back to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. So Bishop, we talk about widows, orphans, and immigrants. And we, you were earlier, you were talking about respect and viability for vulnerable persons. And I can't help but comparing those three to one another. 
and the way our country views each one. And I think we probably do a bet- the best job with widows, perhaps. Orphans, that's debatable. But I'm pretty sure many people uh, don't really value immigrants uh, for one reason or another. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering why. Why is it so difficult for us to to value and advocate advocate for the immigrant today? Oh, I, I, I'm not sure we do well uh, with uh, uh, either of these uh, groups. Um, I think that immigrants has sort of been in the public gaze because it's been politicized, um, which is ironic for a nation of immigrants um, uh, and uh, it, ironic for, you know, for a nation that exists because of, of stolen land and stolen personhood. So, uh, but I, I think, you know, uh, immigrants in particular are easy to other, right? And I think, I, I think that immigrants are also easy to unmatter. Um, I, I think we've, we've made immigrants people we're against. And of course, the great poet, poetic, uh, uh, you know, irony there is, is that here in the state of Georgia, uh, if all the immigrants, uh, legal or otherwise, stayed home, uh, for one week in Georgia or, or chose not to log in and, and not uh, produce any work, uh, the, the economy in Georgia, like many other states, would be virtually crippled. Uh, and so, but I, I think it's just, it, it just goes to our, our, our sinful sense of othering other people. And so uh, even though uh, we, we other them, uh, I, I, I think about, uh, you know, it's because of the grit and resilience of immigrants of, from lots of different places who, who add immensely to the strength uh, of this country. I've been watching the COVID uh, reports pretty regularly, and I'm so struck by um, uh, the number of doctors who take the microphone to tell us about health and well-being across the nation who appear to be um, uh, you know, first or second generation uh, uh, Americans from other places. Where would we be without their gifts? And their and their intellect and compassion, and so, so I, I think that um, I think that you know you get this this notion from the Bible that if we don't pay attention to the viability of, of these groups, then that is a comment on our hard heartedness, right? And 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 so so when Jesus you know uh, starts including all kinds of people as he walks around Galilee, the sick, uh, the young, uh, the female. Um, uh, uh, you know, those who are uh, sort of uh, been infected by uh, collaborating with the occupying force of Rome, uh, we start to see something about the nature of God and, and that God includes and, and not only includes, but is particularly biased uh, towards those on the margins. And if we are for God, then we've got to also be biased. I mean, the logic is pretty clear in Scripture. We've got to demonstrate bias towards those groups. And we've got to also use those groups to help us sort of see how we're doing as a group of people, a nation, a church, striving to make justice the norm. Justice is not the norm at this time. Uh, I'm so struck by the fact that we're honoring John Lewis. But John Lewis was beaten nearly to death to actually enjoy the rights he was given under our documents. Uh, and, and so justice is not the norm. Um, uh, it, justice is something that we say first, and then we have to work towards in practicality. And so this is Brueggemann's point. Uh, 
um, you know, charity is just that bridge. It, it helps us bridge where we are with where we need to be. And ultimately, the church is really in the justice business, but we think we're in the charity business. And so there has to be a re-education mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a little bit, the, there was a statement from Brueggemann and he said this, he said, obviously the 1% or the 3% or the 10% or whatever the top is, intends to keep extracting from the vulnerable until we only have 1%. That will lead to a big collection of subsistent peasants who have no economic viability. I feel like that is, that's, he's prophesying there. He's saying, we're kind of in this really unhealthy system right now. And if we keep on going the way it's going, we're actually going to, we're only going to have a 1% and everyone else is going to be like not viable at all. Would you, would you say I'm reading that correctly? No, I agree. I mean, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, he's saying that if we don't redistribute, if we don't find another way, a more equitable way where justice is the norm, love of neighbor decides our policies and our economics. He's saying, you know, what, what is actually going to be numerically obvious, which is, is that, uh, you know, the collection of subsistence peasants in our midst is going to grow and they're not going to have any, any economic viability. They're not only going to be cheap labor, but they're going to be, in a lot of people's minds, cheap people. And, 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 and of course, this goes against, you know, God. Then we find ourselves at odds with God in that economic model. And now we've got a real big problem, right? So the, I, I love the, the definition of the prophet is not someone who can see around the corner, but someone who can see deeply into now. And so we're, we are deeply into that right now. Right now, and then, so uh, so this is the urgency that the prophets always bring up, and and I don't know about you and where you live, but I can drive around and I can see this right now. I see this in uh, white rural poverty. I see this in urban black poverty. I see this in Hispanic poverty. You know, uh, hiding around the edges of our society uh, until it's time to do work that either whites or blacks don't want to do, and then they're welcomed into the sunlight but only for a very short period of time, totally vulnerable uh, at the whim of their employer slash abuser, and then uh, back to the corners of the society. And so so all we have to do is just use a little imagination about that model. You know, what's the future of that model? Uh, You know, and of course, the argument to the contrary is, is that, oh, a few from, you know, white rural poverty or uh, Hispanic poverty or black poverty will make it and thereby and thereby proving that, you know, in America, anybody can make it. I'm not sure the extreme proves, uh, proves that point, right? Why aren't we, and why aren't we working for a day when we increase the likelihood of all kinds of people making it rather than keeping the gates so very narrow to where only the exception makes it. I think this is part and parcel of Jesus' economic strategy, which is uh, to raise the floor height for all. Um, now, we, of course, we know how difficult this is, but, but uh, you know, I think businesses are starting to get this. Uh, and it seems to me that it's going to be the business sector, moral and ethical business done by people of deep conviction uh, who are convicted by more than the bottom line I think they're going to be the leading light 
perhaps uh, more so than politics, or I would say more than politics, and perhaps more so than the church. That's great. Well, I have so much to think about, and I'm so glad you shared this with me. I've read a number of Brueggemann's works, his essays, but I haven't read Prophetic Imagination and then ordered it yesterday. I'm looking forward to digging into that. <laughs> I, I, what, Good. It's, it's a great. great and you know what I'm going to be wrestling with are the nuances between enough, abundance, and gluttony. Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. three words I'm really going to be wrestling with. So Bishop, yeah. with that, any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I'm just reminded about uh, of what Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, leading up to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter about love. He says that there's a more excellent way. And I think this is what Jesus is ultimately saying to us, both in, in word and in deed, that there's a more excellent way to be neighbor with one another. Uh, and it has to do with a deep, deep commitment to sharing. I think that's, that's what all of Jesus' uh, uh, endeavors to fill us are about simply sharing. Great. Well, Bishop, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for listening to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week. 